Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. Today's another AMA episode. That is Ask Me Anything. I love to answer your questions. If you have a question you think is going to be of broad interest, send it in. I'll answer it live on the air. Send your questions to Victor at VictorJM.com. That's Victor at VictorJM.com. This question comes from Kyle, and Kyle asks, I'm considering a new construction multifamily project. My business partner is a home builder and a general contractor. And through my research on multifamily syndication, it sounds like the majority of these deals follow the same cycle. Value-add building, refinance once units are rehabbed to market value, and pay back investors with refi money. When it comes to new construction, how does your deal cycle compare? Well, Kyle, this is a great question. In many ways, you're correct in drawing a parallel between development and a value-add deal. Conceptually, they're exactly the same. But where they differ is in the details, and it's in the numerous details that the traps can lie. When it comes to development, there are just a lot more moving parts, and any one of them can trip you up. Like a value-add deal, the goal is the same, to add value. In fact, to create enough value, you can refinance the project and recover your initial investment for a long-term hold with little or no cash tied up in the project. In your classic value-add project, you perform light remodeling. You add washers and dryers to the apartments, you improve the amenities, and you increase the rent accordingly. Spending a few hundred dollars on appliances can increase your rent enough that you can get hundreds of thousands of dollars of increased value on a single apartment. That increase in rent goes straight to the bottom line to your monthly profit. When you move into the world of development, there are just so many more moving parts. You may have to hire the engineers to design your site and prove to the city that you're not adding more runoff to the stormwater management system. You might be required to perform a traffic study to prove the existing road infrastructure can handle the increase in traffic. You may have to perform a shadow study to prove that your building won't cast a shadow on the neighbor's property. You'll need to make sure that water, sewer, utility infrastructure has the capacity to handle your project. Are the utilities even in the right place for you to connect to them? Are you going to need to bring them to where you need them at the property line? And there's the whole question of density. Navigating the conflicting constraints with your architecture team is a complex iterative process. What will be the limiting factor? Is it going to be the height restriction, the number of parking spaces, the setbacks from the road or the side or rear yards, the number of apartment units, or the turning radius for fire trucks and emergency vehicles to drive up to each of your buildings? Exactly what will be your limiting factor? Will it be stormwater management? Will you be limited by soil stability and the strength of the soil to support the weight of your building? Will the city allow you to get a curb cut to get access to the property in your desired location? Will the proximity to other properties limit your choice of building materials? Are you going to be required to use fire-rated doors and windows? Unless you know the answer to these questions and more, you could be facing substantial cost increases that will completely catch you by surprise. You could be surprised the city will require you to add a new traffic light at an intersection, or there may be an underground stream on the property and you simply can't build there. You might be required to do a noise study as part of your site plan application. You might need a letter of support for the project from the local community association. You might need input from residents within a radius of the property. So apart from all of these numerous details, it's exactly the same as a value-add project. Having people on your team who know how to navigate these complexities is key to having a successful project. Many cities have a training program designed to show you how to interact with the planning department, ensure that all the planning and entitlement deliverables are satisfied. This is part of the project with the greatest risk and uncertainty. You can experience delays of months or years if you get this wrong. My recommendation is that you start the process of moving into development by building projects strictly by right. 
That is, you're not looking to bend the rules in any way. You're not looking for any exceptions at all. This can reduce the uncertainty at the front end of the project significantly. The second area of risk is in construction. Hiring an established general contractor who does large multifamily projects is essential. Someone who does home building is not the same. And if you're hiring the smaller GCs, the ones that I call two guys in a pickup truck, your risk of having corners cut and failing inspections goes way up. You might pay a tiny bit more for a more established general contractor, but your risk of cost overruns goes way down. It's also important to hire a GC who has a lot of experience in multifamily. The subs who work on multifamily are completely different. They are not the same. The project management of the subcontractors is different from any other form of construction. We don't have time to go into all those details on today's show, but you must hire a GC who specializes in multifamily. And then finally, you want to hire an attorney to negotiate your construction contract, but not just any attorney. You want to hire someone who has experience negotiating and litigating these types of contracts. These contracts are also filled with landmines. and You need a specialist who can spot and correct the risks. I want to thank you, Kyle, for an awesome question. And for the listeners at home, if you're considering development, develop relationships, develop friendships with other developers. That's the only way to learn because there is no university course on how to become a developer. As you think about that, have an awesome rest of your day. Go make some great things happen. I'll talk to you again tomorrow.